Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 20th edition of the Closet Champion Podcast. I am your host, the reigning, rarely defending, highly disputed champion of wrestling podcasts, Mike Mueller. On today's edition of This Week in Wrestling, we are going to cover everything from the June 1st edition of Monday Night Raw and go all the way up to last night's NXT TakeOver In Your House. And it was a great week of wrestling and I don't want to waste any time, so let's dive right in. Starting with the June 1st edition of Monday Night Raw, we open up with Seth Rollins hosting the Rey Mysterio Retirement Party. And I liked what they did with this. I think it was almost perfect. The only thing I wish they had done is I wish that Seth Rollins had played the video package totally straight. It was supposed to be this package that like celebrated the career of Rey Mysterio. And for the first like 90% of it, that's what it did. But they, of course, had it end with Seth Rollins putting Rey Mysterio's eye into the corner of the steps because that's what's spawning this whole thing. And while I get why they did it, I think I would have liked it better for Seth's character if they made it a totally straight... Um, no sarcasm, no snarky, haha, I'm the heel, this is what I did to him in the end kind of thing. If he played it totally straight, I think that would have worked a lot better for his character as this self-proclaimed messiah who sees himself as doing something good. I don't think there's any way that you can spin it, and he didn't try to spin it. Um, he did a little evil laugh um, when you know the package came to an end, and I wish that they had played it a little more earnest. I think it would have been uh, really good for the Seth Rollins character. But overall, the segment, I didn't mind too much. It set everything up. Um, what I did love is on the outside, Austin Theory wearing the Rey Mysterio shirt. It's a great touch. It's a great heel move. They're doing it a lot, it seems like, uh, in wrestling these days. I feel like I've seen a lot of that happen. Both good guys doing it to bad guys and bad guys doing it to good guys. Uh, Velveteen Dream is famous for it. But either way, I think it's good. Um, it's I, I'm still on the fence with Austin Theory. He seems like an incredible talent, and he's incredibly young, and he's got a great look. Um, but there's just something about him that's not clicking with me yet, and I'm going to give him more time to develop because, like I said, he's still very fresh. But so far, what I've seen of Austin Theory has not been the most overwhelming in a positive way. And speaking of not overwhelming, Seth Rollins follows this up with another loss, this time to Aleister Black. And Seth is losing to very legitimate people. He's losing to former <laughs> NXT and Universal Champions. And, you know, it, there's nothing wrong with losing to Drew McIntyre or Kevin Owens or Aleister Black. But when you do it back to back to back and you don't have any wins to kind of put in between there, it's really not doing much for your character. Uh, the only way, like I said, I can see this working as a story is to have it be like where he loses so frequently that Murphy and Austin Theory lose faith in him. Um, even Devin's losing faith in him. I, I mentioned Devin on this show from time to time, and he watches, and he was a big Seth Rollins fan, but even he's like, he loses all the time. I don't know how much longer I can root for this guy. So Seth Rollins is losing the casual fans too, and uh, I think they need to right that ship. They need him to give him a good win. I don't know who they would necessarily have him go over off the top of my head. I'm trying to think of someone on the uh, Raw roster. AJ Styles would have been good, but he just moved to SmackDown and they still have him as a heel. I'm not sure who, but he he needs to get a decent win and the sooner the better. At least that's the way I'm thinking of it. And what I'm also trying to figure out is what the long-term plan with Aleister Black really is. So far, they've kept him pretty unscathed. I mean, he lost in the Royal Rumble and he lost in the the Money in the Bank match, but those aren't real losses. You know, I, th I think up to this point, 
he still only has the the one loss if i'm not mistaken um i'm sure someone can correct me if i'm wrong please let me know at closet champ on facebook and twitter but i think alistair black as long as he's been on the quote-unquote main roster it only has that one loss and i think it was even a tag team loss so they're keeping him pretty much perfect but they haven't done anything with him yet as far as what the, the big um the big storyline or the big payoff is going to be honestly up to this point his i think his best work was with murphy when he was first doing the someone knock on my door and murphy answered the call and did it and they had those you know three matches and alistair won every single one of them but they were great matches um and that led to murphy going to rollins and now he's facing rollins so the 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 train's still rolling, but I don't even see the station, and I'd like to see where we're going with this. It would make me feel a whole lot better about Aleister Black. I'm afraid he's just going to be one of those guys that kind of like shows up and kicks ass, but they don't do anything with him just because he alone, like he's just good enough in the ring alone. That's not enough. You got to have something bigger in mind, otherwise people will lose interest. Um, moving on to something else that happened in raw that i thought was interesting uh apollo cruz did more, more or less an open challenge for the united states title but you know he won his first opponent to be kevin owens they had a great match i thought it was really good um you know, they had the the schmaz finish and you know selena's boys come out andrade and angel garza they restarted as a tag match uh apollo gets the win on andrade again man how many times can you go over on andrade but um, either way, it, it, it's it's protecting Kevin Owens. It's working. Uh, it's giving Apollo Crews another victory. I get that. Um, all that was fine. What I really had a problem with was earlier when it was one-on-one, Kevin Owens versus Apollo Crews. Um, Kevin Owens it kicked Apollo Crews, and he may or may not have hit him low. It, they certainly are selling it like the intention wasn't for Kevin Owens to kick him low. Um, and whether he really did or not, who knows, but, you know, Apollo was playing it up and the ref was telling Kevin Owens to get back. And then all of a sudden Apollo's fine. He hits Kevin Owens. It's a classic heel move. It's a great heel move. Uh, the problem is Apollo Cruz is not a heel. And if this is the beginning of a heel turn for Apollo Cruz, I really do not understand why you have him turn heel now. It makes so much more sense to me. Like, Apollo Crews already won the title. Like, he already proved that he can do it. I, I see a, a face turning into a heel, especially with the low blow route, because they're not able to get it done with their good guy tactics. The good guy tactics aren't working, so they have to resort, you know, to these underhanded moves and low blows. And that makes sense if that's how Apollo won the title. But he pinned Andrade clean. Like, he got to the top on his own but now you're going to start having him do low blow or not low blows but you're going to have him take cheap shots and stuff like that on a distracted kevin owens it didn't make sense to me i if it's t if it's just teasing a, a heel turn to see people's reaction and there's someone from wwe <laughs> spying and listening let me tell you right now i don't care for it um i think apollo cruz is fine as a white meat baby face and if you're going to turn him heel, I don't understand why he's doing it now in the beginning of his first real title run. And he didn't have to cheat to get there. So why is he cheating now? It just, I don't know, for a babyface, it doesn't make sense. I also think Apollo Crews is the perfect white meat babyface to have right now on Raw. I was really thinking about it. And not only at that mid-card level, you know, for guys like Murphy and Andrade and who else they throw out there, but even if I go up another level, like, 
I can see Apollo Crews having matches with people that are sort of on the top of the Raw roster. People like Seth Rollins and Randy Orton and Roman Reigns. Like, you can do that. I think he could put put on some good matches and get over some people and put some other people over without hurting him. He's something that they don't really have right now. And I was trying to think of who else do they have, at least on Raw, that would really be someone that is comparable, I guess, maybe Ricochet right now, but his stock has slipped so much. I think the next best person to compare to as far as just a a good plain face that they have right now is Edge. And, you know, I'm not sure what he, how long he signed up for or what he plans on doing after the Orton feud. But either way, I feel like there's, there's a need for that spot and Apollo seems to fit that need. It it seems like you got a good thing here and you're just starting to let it roll and I think to turn Apollo heel now makes the least amount of sense. I, you know, do it before or do it after. Do it after he loses the title or do it as because that's what he felt he needed to do to get to the top. Uh, but having him do it right now just makes no sense to me. Please keep him face. It was just a tease. It's not anything we can't go back from. Uh, but if we push this a little bit farther, we're going to have to turn him heel. And I, I, I don't know. I don't want it. Uh, moving on, the Nikki Cross match versus the, whichever iconic she faced, it doesn't even matter. Uh, they're more or less the same. Either way, I thought Nikki Cross looked good, even though they didn't end up getting the win. Um, I like that they're trying to do something with the women's tag division and and really put some stories together around it instead of just you know random tag team matches with random tag teams. So it's nice to see that. Following that, we had the Rey Mysterio interview at home thought it was okay. I've never been the biggest Rey Mysterio fan, um, specifically because I think his, his mic work is really lacking. What he does in the ring is second to none, but his interviews, I, I don't know. I have a hard time buying into them, and this was no different to me. Uh, we got a tease with Dominic coming in uh, again, not really coming back, but coming in again, and maybe going to uh, kind of do something with Seth Rollins. You know, he's old enough, he's got the size, he's got the pedigree, you know, we'll see what he can do. You don't know what he can do until you put him in there. So I'd like to see that. It's fresh blood. Again, you know, during this time, anything for some fresh blood and some fresh storylines is is really, really good. And again, this is the time to try new shit. If he goes out and he sucks, you would much rather have him go out and suck in front of, you know, 30 people from the Performance Center instead of a paying audience that goes, what the hell did we just spend our money on? But hopefully Dominic will be great. You know, second generation uh, wrestlers, usually pretty good. Sometimes they fail. But uh, hopefully, you know, this kid's got all the support and uh, the wisdom uh, behind him. So we'll see what can happen. They're certainly doing what they can. I mean, they they put him in first with Brock Lesnar, and now they're putting him in with Seth Rollins. They're putting in, him in with people who will get the desired result. You know, you, you want to put some some sympathy on him you put him in with Brock Lesnar you want to get some you know rabble rousing support you put him against Seth Rollins so Dominic's getting about as good of a start as you can get in the business and by the way I don't want to hear anybody talk about if Dominic goes on a run and actually is good I don't want to hear anybody talk about how he only got there because his dad was Rey Mysterio. It's the same thing with Charlotte and saying that it was only because of her dad's Ric Flair. Uh, 
Rey Mysterio got Dominic's foot in the door, just like Ric Flair got uh, Charlotte's foot in the door. But what they do from here on out is up to them entirely. And this is something that, this is a hill I've chosen to die on. Uh, I really hate it when second or third generation wrestlers, uh, people discredit what they do and what they accomplish because of who their father was. Uh, If that was the fact, Curtis Axel would be doing a lot better right now. But guess what? Curtis Axel, as much as I love him and want him to succeed, he doesn't have the it factor. So he's stuck jobbing and being a curtain jerker and getting a tag team title every once in a while. He might have a job or have had a job. He's released now, so there you go. But point in case, you know, the name can get you in there, but it doesn't keep you there and it doesn't make you a star. Who you are makes you a star. So if Dominic goes on a run, I want to say right now from the beginning that he earned it because anyone that's in there and gets to a place of that level of importance has earned it. All right, that's a little bit off topic, but it's like I said, it's it's something that irks me. Uh, something that does not irk me is we have finally seen the end of the longest 24-7 title run in history thanks to uh, Mr. Rob Gronkowski getting beat by uh, R-Truth, R-Truth dressed up kind of as a landscaper, kind of also sort of as a beekeeper. Not really sure what the look was there, but it was great. Gronk got pinned at his house. Uh, Perfect. Now he can go um, hopefully suck it up in Tampa Bay. And we've put the 24-7, the prestigious 24-7 championship back on a real champion, R-Truth. I was very happy to see that. Um, Something that was not great to see. It's kind of what people were talking about the first half of this week. Um, Nia Jax threw Kyrie Sane into the steps and her head met the corner of her head, met the corner of the steps, and she had a really, really nasty gash. Kind of hard to see whose fault it was. Definitely was partially Nia's fault. I don't know if it was completely. But either way, it doesn't look great for me because just last week I was talking about how Nia is a great worker when she's safe and how she can do a lot of things. And then here she goes and she injures someone else. So I guess I really don't have a leg to stand on there. Um, hopefully it's not too bad and we don't lose Kyrie for too long because I think uh, I really want to see uh, Kyrie and Asuka go at it. You know, they're the there's no real reason to keep them as a team together anymore. So I'd like to see Kyrie and Asuka. I don't know who's going to do the promos for it, but it'll be great. Uh, later on in the evening, speaking of Asuka, we got a uh, Asuka-Charlotte match, champion versus champion, ruined by Nia Jax. Again, we're just continuing that storyline. Uh, we've got Nia Jax and Asuka coming up on Backlash, and I'm going to try to drop a Backlash prediction podcast. I wanted to do that for NXT TakeOver. Didn't get around to it. Uh, if I don't get around to it before uh, you know Saturday night comes around, I'll do the same thing, and I'll just post my predictions uh, on the Facebook page, and then you know we'll do a recap when it's over. But I'm going to try to get a quick little like uh, 15, 20 minute uh, prediction uh, for Backlash show for you guys, and I'll try to record that Friday night after SmackDown if I can. Um, we end Raw with Drew McIntyre in the Full Nelson by Bobby Lashley, and I gotta tell you, um, the Full Nelson was a finishing move in like the '60s. And then they had a couple people in the 70s and 80s try to keep it going. Uh, in fact, at WrestleMania 3, Billy Jack Haynes and Hercules had a full Nelson match where that was the way that you win is get the other person to smash. And I, I think off the top of my head, I'm not sure if that's right, but I'm pretty sure that match ended in a schmaz. And using a full Nelson as a finisher to me is its own kind of schmaz. 
uh, I don't like it. It's it's fine for a wear down hold, but it's not a finishing move. I think it's fucking stupid, and I'm not worried at all about this match. Uh, you know, I said it before. I'll say it again. This is just another big guy for Drew to get through. I need him. I want him to get into a storyline that has some teeth. So far, they've just been a, bu- a series of really, really good one-off matches, you know, one-month feuds, and that's totally fine, especially for a new champion. I like that. I like that approach. You know, don't have them in a forever feud with the person they took the belt off of. Don't have them immediately in this one-off feud, because I hate when I go back and look. Again, this is a little off-topic, but I hate when I go back and look and see, oh yeah, he was the champion for eight months. Who did he have title matches against? And it's against like three people. It's against the guy that he beat it. He beat for the title. They have a, a program after. Then he had like one feud that he got over on, and then the next match is the to the person that he ends up dropping it to. But it takes place over eight months because they just keep recycling that. I like having a champion that goes out and just knocks off all comers. I think this is the perfect way to set up if you're if they've got plans to bring someone up or bring someone new into Raw that's really going to be like the threat to Drew McIntyre, this is the perfect way to build Drew McIntyre up to that point. Because you can go, well, he's gotten through everybody. He's gone through all the big boys. Who can he go through left? Who is there that he hasn't already beat? Bam, new guy, insert name here. That's a great way to go with this. I hope they do go with it um, because... I, I think Drew needs to be that kind of champion. It, it works for his character, the take on all comers kind of guy. I don't want it to get to like an open challenge sort of thing that, you know, we do need storyline. We don't just need matches. But this seems to be a really good pace with Drew. I hope they keep the clip up. I hope we don't get some drawn out Bobby Lashley feud. I say let Drew hit a Claymore, take Bobby's head off his shoulders. Bobby got his you know, title match that he was waiting for since he got signed. Everybody's happy. Move on to the next. Speaking of next, let's go to NXT. A couple days later, this past Wednesday, of course, we're building up to the uh, In Your House TakeOver pay-per-view, which I'm going to talk about at the very end of this. So I'm going to go pretty quick over this segment. Uh, We had the uh, Mia Yim, Candice LeRae match, building up uh, some good violence, some stiff shots. Uh, Chaos ensued. We got all six women coming out. There's going to be, as we found out, a six-woman tag match that ends up opening the pay-per-view and doing a good job. But for that episode, it ended up turning everything into a mixed tag team match with uh, Mia and uh, Keith Lee versus Candice LeRae and Johnny Gargano. Mixed tag match. It's going. One thing I thought was really funny at some point, Beth Phoenix said, Johnny doing what he does best, run his mouth, and I'm pretty sure that is the first time anyone ever said that the thing that Johnny Gargano does best is run his mouth. I thought that was funny. They're playing the coward heel with Johnny Gargano, which makes total sense because of his size. Um, it's a weird adjustment for me. Again, I thought he was one of the few that really did white meat baby face well. So it's hard to see him not do that. But we'll give it time. We'll see where it goes. Uh, they were trying to build you know, the six-woman tag match up. And I'm glad that they did because I have to say, going up to this, even honestly at the end of this episode, uh, I still wasn't caring too much about the women's division in NXT outside of Rhea Ripley, Io Shirai, and Charlotte Flair. Uh, The undercard, so to speak, for the women, nothing was really grabbing me. 
And this started to build some stuff up that, you know, let me go, yeah, okay, let's see what these girls can do. So that was really good. Uh, something else that was awesome is Bree Zango is back. Uh, the astronaut outfits were weird as always, as as only Bree Zango can be. Weird and sexy, just like Bree Zango. Uh, but it's great to see them back. I hope they can both stay healthy for a while because Tyler Breeze can do okay on his own, you know, but I think that tag team is perfect for both of those guys. I think that's a match made in heaven, totally. Um, one other thing that I just saw going through that uh, in that Brizango match, we also had uh, Danny Birch and Orny Logan. And I gotta say, I was looking for something for Cesaro to do. I think he should go down to NXT if they're not going to release him or do something with him on SmackDown. Have him go on to NXT and have him be like those guys' leader. And you just have like the three bald, super pale white dudes as a faction. I don't know what the hell you would call them, but I think that would be great. Um, just something I thought of was I was watching those guys who are an underrated team by the way again another great great team in the ring they just they need a mouthpiece which is why we need managers and speaking of managers uh, a little bit after that we got to see Robert Stone get fired more or less by Chelsea Green I don't think that's a smart move for Chelsea Green I think Robert Stone is going to land on his feet in no time he was already starting to talk to um, Aaliyah and I, I don't have much you know, interest in Aaliyah, but if Robert Stone pairs with her, then hey, maybe who knows, maybe I'll watch a little bit more. I think he's really funny. I think he's great. Uh, I'd love to see him get a little brand or stable going, uh, some kind of stable on NXT, because uh, I'm assuming slash hoping Undisputed Era is going to be wrapping up probably this year, so maybe he can start the, the next group of uh, dominant faction members. Who knows? We'll see. Uh, and then, of course, we get to the end, the big story, what we've all been waiting for, what I was waiting for, the end of the NXT Cruiserweight Championship uh, with Drake Maverick. As we knew, Drake was released. He goes on to cut this great promo. He has this hell of a run through the tournament. Uh, some people think it's awesome. Some people think it's uh, distasteful and cruel <laughs> to put him front and center when you know you're letting him go. And sure enough, just like I said, uh, El Hio got the win. His The goons came down. Again, we haven't directly said there is goons, but they come down. They distract, uh, distract, distract Drake Maverick. And El Hio de Fantasma gets the win. Uh, pretty much exact went down exactly the way I said it was going to go down. Uh, what did throw me for uh, a surprise, and I was happy to see it, was, of course, that memorable end shot. Drake loses, he talks to the camera, he gives a million thank yous, he's doing a slow, long goodbye wave up the ramp, and then, oh, who's up at the top of the ramp? Triple H with the NXT contract, he signs it on the spot, they cry, they hug, we go to black. Uh, great way to end it, feel-good moment. Like I said, I was someone that didn't really care about Drake Maverick before this whole thing went down, and I'm very, very happy to see that they re-signed him uh, because I don't see too many indie shows. And while I'm sure Drake Maverick would have had a hell of a run on the indies, uh, r right now, this is the most I've ever cared about him. I think uh, the, the decision makers in WWE realized that and they were like, look, we got to give this guy a contract. Um, I think the moment with Triple H was planned, but either way, it, it was a great moment and it's great to see Drake on there. I'm very excited. I What I'd like to see happen now is, of course, Jordan Devlin's going to come back and we're going to have El Hio versus uh, Jordan Devlin. But I think whoever comes out on top of that, either way, 
your immediate story is number one contender should be Drake Maverick. That's my opinion. He was the runner-up in the finals from a booking standpoint, from an emotional standpoint, from a storyline standpoint. It all makes sense. And I got to tell you, I'll be rooting very, very hard for Drake to come away with the Cruiserweight title. But I think it was the right move, by the way, having him not win it having him lose but still get signed. I thought that was a better story than, oh, well, he won it, so we have to keep him. This was, I think, a cooler rub for Drake Maverick. Uh, switching gears, let's go to uh, AEW that aired that same day. Uh, they We open up with a tag team match that I thought was great between Kenny Omega and Hangman Adam Page and then uh, Kip Sabian and uh, Jimmy Havoc. I thought it was a great match. My problem with that is they're already building toward the Kenny Omega and Hangman Adam Page versus the Best Friends match that's happening either in a few weeks or at the next uh, pay-per-view, which isn't for a couple months. I'm not sure how they're doing it. But either way, they've already kind of implied that that's going to be the match. And whenever you do that to me, it's like if you're building toward a title match on a pay-per-view, don't have title matches on TV before then. It was the same thing with when they would do the Open. Specifically, I can think of John Cena. He was doing the U.S. Open Challenge. It was leading to his match against, uh, I think it was Rusev at a pay-per-view. But every week, he's still having these title defenses. It's like, well, of course he's going to win. you got to have him defend the title at the pay-per-view against uh, Rusev. So why are we you know, fucking around with these other matches. That's kind of what I, the impression that I got from this match was I enjoyed it, but I was not fully into it because I knew how it was going to end before it even ended. And I don't think that's a good thing ever. A little bit later on in AEW, we start to get the buildup for Brian Cage and John Moxley. Um, Again, this is another one where I hope this match doesn't happen for a while. I hope we give it some time to build and some time to breathe because I think they rushed the Brody Lee match with Moxley and it it felt like it never really got the heat that it could have got. And because it didn't have that heat, again, it didn't make me think, just like right now with Drew McIntyre and Bobby Lashley, I don't think there's going to be a a change because I I don't care enough. (laughs) And to me, it's like if if they haven't made me care enough about it, it's probably because the title isn't going to change hands and we're going to be pretty straightforward. It's the way I felt with Brody Lee and Moxley. Uh, It's the way I feel right now with Brian Cage. Um, But seeds have been planted. We're starting to get there. Taz is really going to help. Uh, I think Cage, I said it last time, I think Cage is a great, great, great athlete. I loved him in Lucha Underground. I I think he'll work well with Moxley. He seems like he would work better with smaller guys, but I think he'll be okay with Mox, and I I think he'll have a really good physical match, but I'm hoping it doesn't happen for a while. I hope it doesn't happen until the pay-per-view. You know, let's give it eight weeks of TV time, see where we can really take it. Uh, Another match that happened on AEW was Chris Jericho and Colt Cabana. Uh, match itself was kind of blah, but you know, as always with Jericho, where he really shines is the microphone. That was no different this week. He cut a hell of a promo. They're building up to Jericho and Orange Cassidy, and I am so fucking pumped for that match. Orange Cassidy uh, is. Uh, if you don't like Orange Cassidy, I don't think you really like pro wrestling because that dude is. Uh, what a gimmick. What just a great gimmick. And talk about fucking working it. His gimmick is that he's lazy, but if you see the shit that he does, it's like the most athletic, difficult things that you can do. So he's doing everything with his hands in his pockets. Imagine doing the stunts that they do and they don't have their hands to break their fall or use for leverage. Like, 
Orange Cassidy is great, and I am so, so on board, and I think that he should beat Jericho. I, Jericho, uh, you know, can take a lot of losses, and he'll still be fine. He'll always be considered a legitimate threat if they ever have him going for the title again. So, you know, again, another one whose reputation is kind of impossible to tarnish, and I, it would make Orange Cassidy. And I feel like Jericho wants to do the job for Cassidy. That's just the vibe that I get leading up to it. Uh, I think it's going to be great. Um, they had a, a women's match between Nyla Rose and Big Swole. Went way longer than I thought it was going to, and I'm happy about that. And it started to set up a Big Swole versus Britt Baker rivalry. Uh, I think it's really more than anything a way to introduce uh, some uh, new blood in the women's division, which is sorely needed. And I've seen the few matches that they had Big Swole do. I think she's done more on AEW Dark, which I admittedly don't watch. But what I've seen of her, I really like, and I'd like to see more. Like I said, they gave her a good amount of time with Nyla Rose. I think it was like somewhere in like the 8 to 12 minute range, somewhere around there. Uh, And I thought it was really good. I thought it was really enjoyable. Uh, Something that I have very, very mixed opinions about on AEW was the introduction 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 to FTR formerly known as the Revival um they have them in a sit down interview we saw them in the ring with the young bucks before but this is sort of like the sit down get to know them interview they did it in like the lobby of like the Jacksonville Jaguars stadium or front office headquarters i don't really know what it was but it was a big open uh lobby and they're sitting there and they're talking and then all of a sudden here comes butcher and blade and here come these teams and here comes all these guys that were apparently just off camera and it made me like why is it why is this not happening in a locker room or in a gym or someplace where these people would be in their wrestling gear no less didn't make any sense for me to play it if you want to play it as a comedic spot then that's fine but you're playing it as a as a straight spot, and it. Why are these guys walking around in their underwear in the Jacksonville Jaguars lobby? Like that. I don't know. It just it didn't sit well with me. Uh, I thought it could have been done better, but we get to see them in the ring very very soon. They're facing Butcher and Blade. Uh, don't know too much about Butcher and Blade, and what I've seen, I haven't been overly impressed with. But you know, hopefully, it'll be a, a good introduction. They'll get to do all their spots and uh, show us what they're going to do in AEW. So that's exciting. And then, of course, we close out AEW with Cody defending the TNT title against Jungle Boy because Jungle Boy won the Battle Royal. Very good match. Cody bled. Didn't think he needed to bleed, but it was okay. Uh, Match was very good. It's clear to me that they're trying to establish this as the workhorse belt, just like the Intercontinental title is known as the workhorse belt in the WWE. This is going to be their workhorse belt. Uh, Cody's doing the open challenge thing, like I talked about before. And what I'd like to see is I think the obvious booking choice for me is to have this eventually uh, become a match for the title against MJF. And I'm fine with that. But like I just talked about a few minutes ago, I don't like doing an open challenge when you have a title match on the horizon that's already set in stone. So what I'd like to see them keep doing with this personally is I would actually like to keep MJF off of TV, which is stupid because he's great, or at least out of the arena. Maybe he injured himself again some way. Maybe he, he got a split end in his hair or you know some other ridiculous non-injury that he's been doing. Keep him off TV. Keep him saying that he's going to be back. The doctors don't know when he's going to be cleared, but he'll be cleared. Cody keeps doing this open challenge for the next you know eight weeks or until whatever the next pay-per-view is going to be. He, it's 
build. It's advertised as just another open challenge match for the pay-per-view and have that match be MJF and have MJF win because then that way for anyone who doesn't buy the pay-per-view and doesn't see go what we missed it and then that's going to make them super excited and definitely want to buy the next pay-per-view in which you have MJF and Cody Rhodes fight again and by the way during that time I don't think the title should be defended at all I don't think MJF should defend the title one time between when he wins it at the next pay-per-view against Cody if my dream booking happens and then he will not defend it again until the next pay-per-view, four weeks, eight weeks, however long it is out, where Cody gets his rematch. Um, but I, I think that's just the right thing to do with their characters. It's the way I'd see it going. I love, um, oh shoot, I can't remember which one. One half of Private Party is getting the match this week. Keep giving it to guys that you know can put on great matches in the ring and will work well with Cody and keep building this title up as a workhorse title and then have him drop it in an open challenge to MJF. That's the way I would go with it, personally. Uh, Moving on to SmackDown, we get a little bit of, a little bit, the next part, the next chunk of the story in the Jeff Hardy saga. Uh, The story's going where I thought it was going to go, and again, because they're going in this direction, I don't really find it distasteful. As we find out, sure enough, of course, it wasn't Jeff Hardy. We find out he was set up. He was set up by a guy with red hair and a red beard. And of course, we're all going, Seamus. It's got to be Seamus. And Seamus comes out, and he's got the feud with Hardy, but Seamus denies it. And while Seamus is a heel, Seamus doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who would have to lie about this. He he got his wish. He got Hardy out and got himself another chance at the title. That's already happened, and he blew that chance. So it doesn't really matter if your cover's blown at this point. So then who would possibly do it if it's not Seamus? Someone with red hair and a red beard. Maybe someone we haven't seen in a while. Maybe someone like Sami Zayn, the former Intercontinental Champion who never lost his title. If we're introducing Sami Zayn back into the picture, this is a perfect way to bring it in. Have Hardy and... uh, Sheamus have another match have Shardy Shardy (laughs) have Hardy win get the clean win over Sheamus so he can move on and then if we're bringing Sami Zayn back soon and we know that there is a perfect match a perfect rivalry to reintroduce Sami Zayn to give Jeff Hardy something he can sink his teeth into because I haven't really been into the feud with him and Sheamus so I think that if they go in that direction and I can see them going there uh, I, I think that's really smart booking and, and kudos to them because that's very cool and that's a nice swerve. But I'm glad to see that they took it in the direction that I was hoping they would and that this was, of course, all just one big setup and we'll get to the bottom of it eventually. A uh, <laughs> uh, cute little thing that happened backstage that I really enjoyed was the moment where Otis uh, takes Corbin's crown and is wearing it. Uh, it was a great just little throwaway comedic spot if they want it to be a throwaway comedic spot. But the first thing that I thought when that happened is King of the Rings coming up soon if they're going to do it again. It's always a summer event. It's usually June. Uh, if not June, they can push it to July. And if they do it, fuck it. Have Otis win that. Have him be Mr. Money in the Bank and have him be the king. Just so it would piss off every heel in the back. Like that, like you can have Otis face anybody until he decides to cash that contract in. If this little fat, out of shape, blue collar, nothing guy, first he gets Mandy Rose. Are you fucking kidding me? Mandy Rose is with him. She's not with me. And now he's money in the bank. And now he's king of the ring. Like, are you kidding me? That's going to make him get attacked every week backstage. And we're going to have great matches with Otis all the way. We're going to build him up. Uh, I hope we go in that direction because now I'm all in. They decided... 
that Otis was over enough to put the briefcase with him, well, let's just double down on it and make him king of the ring while we're at it too. I, I'm for it. I want to see it happen. Um, and I did want to say real quick, I know I give Baron Corbin a lot of shit, as a lot of us do. Uh, he executed a spine buster on SmackDown that was absolutely beautiful. Um, I thought I had the the marking the minute marked down on it, but apparently I don't. But uh, yeah, that's in Corbin with a great, great spine buster. That was beautiful to see. Um, Miz and Morrison doing their, their pranks, their warnings on Braun Strowman from the van was hilarious to me. Uh, John Morrison doing the this is how we do it, it's Friday Night Line uh, cracked me up. Miz and Morrison cracked me up. I think they're great. Uh, the whole... I said left. I thought you meant stage left was great because again, it just it doesn't make sense. They're just they're absurd and they're absurd in the best way possible. And I want them to keep doing what they're doing forever. I don't want them to ever break up. Uh, another thing that happened on SmackDown uh, that I uh, Sonya Deville lost to Lacey Evans, which is whatever because Sonya was distracted and, and we're still playing that angle. And it's fine. And I'm fine with Lacey Evans getting the win. It's clear they, they want her to work. And if she gets better, I'm fine with it. It's it's Roman Reigns syndrome. It's, they tried to push her right away, realized she wasn't ready, pull her back, maybe work on her a little bit, maybe we'll get her ready for another push, see if the audience reacts better this time. Totally, totally fine with all of that. I'm happy to give them ring time. I just wish she had gotten the victory over someone other than Sonya personally because i think sonia deville is in a real real fragile spot where she's doing great work but she has no resume outside of what she is doing right now and if they blow this i think it's gonna be real easy for them to pull the plug on her and i don't want them to so i want to see sonia have a lot of success uh consecutive consistent success uh for the time being uh they're continuing to push shorty g another thing that's happening on smackdown i really like that uh I'm glad to see it happening. I'm glad to see Renee Young come back front and center during this whole Elias scandal and then starting to do some interviews and ring work, uh, in ring interviews. To me, she is way too good and way too talented to be stuck on WWE backstage. That is a waste of Renee Young's talents. Put her on cable TV, damn it. Put her on Fox TV, which is what they're doing. I shouldn't say cable. It's on, it's on regular, everyday folk TV on Fox uh and uh the last couple things that i wanted to say little things about smackdown that i thought were really really impressive um i'm i'm loving the build up with daniel bryan they're they're working him hard in that underdog i want i want to do this the right way kind of role and it's going to work great i fully expect him to be aj styles i really hope he does um because uh, it's again it's another one of those situations where he never lost the title so now he's going to get it back and i think that's just perfect uh, I love them pushing Drew Gulak. Huge upset win for Drew Gulak. Very, very excited. Um, I almost, in watching that match and in watching his match with Daniel Bryan, I almost wish they had a whole show or division dedicated strictly to technical wrestlers, the way 205 is dedicated to cruiserweights. Because those kind of matches, those Mac classics, I live for. And I understand that, you know... They, you got to do them sparingly for a, a diverse audience, but you know, for the real hardcore geeks, uh, that was that was a huge huge moment. Um, <laughs> uh, they pointed out also during SmackDown that saw that uh, 
Braun Strowman's father is in the softball hall of fame and they looked it up and it's absolutely true and a lot of people say he's the greatest softball player of all time but I'm watching this with Devin and they say that his dad is in the softball hall of fame and Devin goes softball a woman's sport and (laughs) I thought that was so fucking funny and I hope that someone says it to Braun's face and then they of course just destroy him but that was a great little moment that cracked me up uh something else that happened on smackdown another not really revelation because it's something i've known for a long time but i think at the end of the day the new day is without a doubt a top 10 tag team of all time uh the body of work that they've done is absolutely incredible uh their in-ring skills all the way around they continue to showcase them i think they have been another high spot during this audienceless era which to me is like the biggest surprise because if anyone relies on audience feedback and interaction it would be the new day but i think they're still crushing it and i'm great very grateful uh to have seen pretty much the evolution of their entire career and they just keep getting better there's another one that you that's a team that you never have to break up if you want them to stay together until kofi retires you could do that and i don't think one person would complain Uh, Another sort of realization that I had during SmackDown is there's a lot of talk about the four horsewomen with Charlotte and Sasha Banks, you know, and Bailey and Becky Lynch. But I have to give credit, if there is a fifth horseman, it's got to be Alexa Bliss. Horsewoman, I should say. It's got to be Alexa Bliss. And I would argue that she's one of the more valuable members of that five. Um, She's just so talented, and I'm glad to see her uh, healthy again for a long enough period of time where we're getting to see just how good she is because she unfortunately gets injured pretty frequently and I think a lot of people, myself included, forget how talented Alexa Bliss is. But watching this episode of SmackDown really drove that point home for me. And those are the big things that I really liked from SmackDown. Of course, the finale was what most people talked about. It was Bailey and Sasha Banks actually winning, uh, taking the titles from Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross. So now Bailey is a double champion. Uh, there was a great little moment where she was acting like, oh my God, the belts are so heavy. It's so hard for me to lift them. Great, great moment. Uh, I didn't see it coming. I want to give props to my uh, buddy, Danimal, who is a friend of the show. He called it. He called it a long time ago and said that it was going to happen. I didn't think it was going to happen. It did. So good for you, Danimal. You knew it more than me. All right. Last thing I want to talk about on today's episode is the uh, NXT takeover that happened. I put out all my predictions, so I'm, and I, I kind of gave already the buildup in the uh, segment about the NXT TV uh, on Wednesday. So we're just going to kind of go through this real quick. Uh, the women's six-way match, better than I expected. Like I said, I, I thought it was great. They were able to get me to care about some of the uh, the undercard of the women's division right now. So that gives me hope for the future. Hopefully we could spin off some new rivalries from this. Tegan Knox getting the pin on Dakota Kai was perfect. I think this is a perfect way to put a bow in it move them on to something else you can always go back and revisit that feud but i think this is a good time to get them away from each other because they're sort of becoming like one without the other is no good and you don't want that uh finn balor got the win on damian priest i think that's the right move i think finn is the clear number one contender uh for the nxt championship and so giving him the win here uh, just makes all the sense in the world damian priest is young he can afford the loss not a big deal 
was not shocked by that at all. What I was shocked by was the North American title match. I expected Keith Lee to end the night as the champion, but I did not expect it to be from a very clean win. And not only was it a clean win, Johnny Gargano cheated. He did, you know, he had the keys that he pulled out of his crotch and used them. Like everything that he could have done to get a cheap win, he did. But in the end, it still didn't work. It still wasn't enough. And Keith Lee beat him clean. I thought this was going to be a few that they were going to let boil for quite a while, but apparently, like, I don't, I don't see how a rematch happens here because the champ won decisively, the face champ won decisively with the heel doing all of his heel tactics. Nowhere to go from there. You got to move them on to something else. So where they move them on to, we'll see. I don't know, but uh, love both those guys. It was a good match. Wanted to see them have more, uh, but now I really don't. I want them to move on to their own thing. Uh, then after that, we had the Adam Cole Velveteen Dream match. Not as great of a match as a lot of the other highly produced uh, segments. It actually reminded me a lot stylistically of the Boneyard match, but just kind of a lesser version. Still extremely entertaining. Still very, very good. There were some great moments. The fire extinguisher spot uh, off camera was awesome. It made me jump, actually. Um, but I think we have now hit a point where uh, the cinematic matches. We've seen enough of them now. We've seen three. Excuse me, we've seen four with Gargano and Ciampa, which also wasn't the greatest. But it's we've seen enough now to where we have other things to compare them to. When the Boneyard match happened and the Firefly Funhouse match happened, it was totally new, so we had nothing to compare it to. Well, now we have things to compare that to, and they're not as good. Uh, they're not bad, but they're not as good. So now that we have that standard and that precedent set, uh, it's going to be harder to live up to that. If this was the first highly, you know, overly produced segment that they had done, I think people would say it was great. Um, but it wasn't, and compared to some of the other things that we've seen them do, it was just okay. And now, of course, Dream can't challenge again while Cole is the champion. Not a big deal. Don't expect Cole to hold it for too long, but that's where we're at right now. Uh, another match that happened uh, on TakeOver, Karrion Cross defeated Tommaso Ciampa. Again, I thought this was the right move. We're just introducing Karrion Cross. We need to prove that he's a legitimate person. We need people to believe that he can beat anybody. Who do you have him beat? Former, arguably greatest NXT champion of all time, Tommaso Ciampa. You know, Tommaso's kind of in a holding pattern right now. Really not sure what they're going to do with him. Are they going to move him up? Are his knees going to be able to handle a full schedule? We don't know. But this is a move, again, like Jericho and AEW, Tommaso and NXT is pretty untouchable. Him taking this loss here is not going to derail his career by any means. Uh, and it was good. It was a good move to get him over because I think Karrion Cross is going to fill that heel spot that Tommaso dominated in before you know he got injured and came back as a face. I see them positioning Karrion Cross in that exact same spot that Tommaso Ciampa was positioned in. And I, th I think it's a smooth transition they did the right thing, and it was great to see Karrion Cross uh, get a big win. And not a squatch, in a legitimate match, so we can see that he actually, you know, could work, too. And then, of course, we finish with the triple threat match. Uh, you know, I went four for six on my predictions. Uh, Keith Lee winning, I was wrong about. And Io Shirai winning, I was definitely wrong about. I thought this was going to be a match for Charlotte to win. I thought she was going to drop it very soon in a one-on-one -on -one match. Instead, they have her lose it in the triple threat match. Don't love that move. 
Um, to me, it cheapens Io Shirai's win a little bit, uh, but the match itself was great. It was a pretty pretty standard WWE triple threat match where for a lot of at least the early portions, one person was on the outside while the other two women were fighting, and then you kind of have like a uh, you know a transition spot, and then you work another almost sort of mini one on one match. Do that a few times. Then eventually everyone gets in the ring. I think once they had all three of them working, well, not really in the ring, outside the ring, that's where they really uh, shined the brightest and did their best work. Of course, the spot of the night is Io Shirai uh, perched up on top of the house like a little gargoyle and flying down and doing the body press. That was a great, great moment. Uh, the end of the match, Rhea Ripley, man, I hope she's okay. She took a nasty knee to the face when Io did that, uh, that spot off the top, but Io Shirai gets the win. She's our new women's champion. Uh, I'm hoping to see her versus Charlotte and her get over on Charlotte and then her versus Rhea. And we can have a long feud with those two. That's where I'd like to see her spend the next, you know, four to five months. Uh, but we'll see how it goes. Congratulations to Io Shirai. Uh, thanks again, everybody, for listening to the show. And I want to give a special shout out, actually, to my European contingent. Uh, I checked uh, my numbers on my podcast, and apparently there's like seven of you over in England and Ireland and uh, Germany that have somehow stumbled across my podcast and listened to it. So uh, if you listen to this one, shout out to you guys. It's humbling and and really exciting to say that I have uh, people from other countries that have actually checked me out. So uh, yes, I will try to put out a episode at the end of this week with backlash predictions. Uh, but if not, I'll be back next Monday with the next state of wrestling. Things are opening up slowly but surely here in Michigan. So hopefully I will be back to more uh, in-depth career retrospectives and top 10 lists and all the other things that I like to do on my show. Maybe some fantasy booking as well. I've been talking to some people about that. As always, let me know what you think about my show. Let me know if you want to be a guest uh, because I'm starting to line some up. Find me on Facebook and Twitter at Closet Champion. Until next time, everybody stay safe. I am your reigning, rarely defending, highly disputed champion, Mike Mueller, and I'm going to take the count out loss and get out of here with my belt. Good night, everybody.